Hey everybody, I'm Kyla. Welcome to my channel where we talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today I'm going to be talking about central banks and why the decisions that they make are so important and also how that ties into fiscal policy. So if you've been paying attention to what's going on in England, going to be talking about that a little bit, going to be talking about the FOMC meeting that happened. If you like these videos, please hit the subscribe button. That really, really helps. I have a newsletter that is attached to this at kyla.substack.com. So go check that out too. Also, I'm going to include a Google form below for publishing days. I would really be curious to know what days are best for you all to want to watch these videos. All right, so the FOMC meeting. The Federal Reserve raised rates by 75 basis points last week in order to battle inflation, and they made it very clear that they're not going to stop raising rates until the job is done, which means that when this inflation beast is tamed, that's when they're going to slow the roll. But in the meantime, they're going to keep on raising rates. They expect rates to go up to 4.4% by the end of this year, meaning more mega hikes along the way. What this also means is that there could be a baby recession incoming. They also released their summary of economic projections, which boiled down to a baby recession is likely with slowing growth and higher unemployment, but don't worry, we will cut rates in 2024 and things will be okay again. As Jerome Powell said in the meeting, nobody knows whether or not this will cause a recession. It just is kind of the perfect storm for one, a baby one. No one knows anything and monetary policy is really money alchemy at this point. You can just look at the dispersion of the dot plots to catch the vibe here. The more spread out that they are, the less certain that the path forward is. And the Fed's main tools that I've, ta I've talked about this a lot are raising rates, shrinking the balance sheet and talking. Right now they're doing all three. They've raised rates substantially over the past several months and they're shrinking down the balance sheet at a quick clip. However, they have no plans to sell securities off the balance sheet anytime soon, which is slightly dovish. Like they're not like, okay, we have to go full hard out mode on this. The effectiveness of their policy largely relies on something called Fed cred. And if their credibility begins to sink, so does the power of their toolkit. Their goal is to slow demand. They want to slow demand because that should theoretically slow inflation. The main mechanism for slowing demand is to make it more expensive for people to exist. Higher borrowing costs, slowing wages, so people spend less and poof, inflation is gone. The main thing is just Jerome Powell saying stop spending money. I wrote about this last week, but a lot of the problems that we have are supply issues. The equation here is that if people stop demanding, then supply will have more time to get itself in line, which like, sure, but doesn't it make more sense to go after supply first? And that has its own issues, right? But of course, there are toolkit limitations for what the Federal Reserve can do. What the Federal Reserve seems to be doing is trying to pummel the labor market with a hammer in order to get inflation back down. And when you have limited tools, everything is a nail. And this gets into treasury yields. So the treasury market believes that the Fed will hike rates, but it's uncertain about the consequences of that. Yields have been freaking out since the Fed meeting with the two years soaring above 4%. And remember it was 0.25% a year ago, 25 basis points. And the 10 year is above three and a half percent. So yields have really soared over the past year. And what that means is the two year is now bigger than the 10 year yield. And that's not great. The yield curve has been inverted for a while, but it keeps getting more inverted, which means that people essentially are feeling worse and worse about the economy. And when you look at policy, the two-year is very, very policy sensitive. So when the Federal Reserve comes out swinging, the two-year is going to respond to that momentum. It is reflective of that the Fed's fund rate is going to do about the over the next two years or so. That's what the two-year reflects. And so the market clearly expects higher rates from the Fed moving forward because the two-year is going up like this. And if you think about inflation expectations, a 10-year is sort of reflective of inflation expectations. So the market is expressing just general uncertainty here. But the climb in the yield on the 10-year, Treasury inflation protected securities shows that investors expect inflation to fall somewhat over the coming years. So they do expect inflation to fall, but 
They're worried about what that really means. <laughs> Inflation isn't falling because it got fixed. It's falling because you're hitting it with a hammer. The yield curve is essentially saying, okay, wow, you know, we see you Federal Reserve and we're afraid of you right now. Like you're going hard. You're going goblin. I said it again. I, I'll stop saying goblin mode. I just think it's really fitting for the Fed. The Fed is going to keep on raising rates, which should push inflation down, but the risk of breaking stuff is increasing. And this gets into the housing market. And this is something I'm personally pretty passionate about. When the Fed nudges around the Fed funds rate, that moves treasury yields, which moves mortgage rates. This week, mortgage rates went over 6.5%, which has disqualified 18 million households from qualifying for a $400,000 mortgage. Spending power has essentially collapsed, and still somehow home prices ticked up about 1% last week. There has been a 30% decline in affordability since the beginning of the year, which of course has hurt home sales. But this isn't just about home sales, it's about wealth building. Home ownership in the United States is one of the top ways to become rich. Your house is an asset that gains value over time that you just also happen to live in. Of course, this was fine in the 1960s when houses were $10 and a nine to five could pay for all your bills. But now more and more people are priced out of the housing market, meaning they're priced out of that quote unquote American dream. It's this ghost of supply and demand. We simply don't have enough housing in places that people want to live in. Remember that people will say, oh, you can have a house in the middle of a cornfield in some state that you don't maybe want to live in, but people want to live in certain areas, of course, so you have to have housing there. We simply don't have enough housing in places that people want to live in. There's also a new weird, as Redfin titled it. People locked in super low mortgage rates and they're like, well, I don't really want to move. My mortgage rates two and a half percent, three percent. Why would I go get a new house? Have to pay six percent on my mortgage. I'm not going to do that. But also almost 40% of homeowners, about 32 million people, have no mortgage. <laughs> they own their house. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? They have absolute money bags and home equity because the typical home was bought for $240,000 in 2018. Can you even imagine? That house is likely worth well north of $400,000. A lot of people have no mortgage sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars in gain. The question will be if they want to cash in or if they're going to wait. And this is actually an important distinction between the Bank of England monetary policy and the Federal Reserve monetary policy. When the Fed raises rates here, it does impact mortgage rates, obviously, but a lot of people have a fixed 30-year mortgage, so they're locked in, they're good to go. But in England, the mortgage sets every two to five years for the people living there. When the Bank of England raises rates, which is what they did, people who own homes there are going to be much more impacted. But going back to just the general thematic of the housing market, if these homeowners continue to wait here in the United States, the supply ghost is going to continue to haunt the housing market. Home builders are not feeling great about building homes because homes are expensive and they're worried no one is going to buy them. Also, they keep on building more multifamily homes versus single family homes, which does not help the issue at hand. The spread between housing completions and units under construction continues to widen. And what the supply and demand misbalance does is keep more people as renters when they probably should be homeowners, which mechanically ends up exacerbating apartment prices too because of supply and demand. So nobody wins. Quote, adding to the demand, the millennial generation of mostly those in their 30s continues to live in apartments and is unable to purchase homes. They're sort of stonewalling the new rental population that was behind them. So for me and others in their 20s, you're kind of stuck, right? And that's why you see things like this. NYC may have sky-high median asking rent of about $4,100, but year-over-year change of 17% is slower than Cincinnati and Pittsburgh at plus 25% and plus 22%. So it's everywhere. It's This phenomenon, you can't escape it. It's expensive to own a home. It's expensive to rent an apartment. And of course, higher rents hit those that can least afford it the hardest. There are so many pressures on the housing market, home flipping, private equity, which I should make a whole video about, regulatory headaches, and the Fed's actions to find inflation. The idea is that a baby recession might reduce home prices, but mortgage rates are going to keep a lot of people out of the market. And stocks are feeling bad too. Yields are also a wrecking ball to stocks, another vehicle of wealth. Real yields are soaring, which does two things. It hurts stock valuations. If you're a fly-hiding tech stock, you love low 
rates, it makes you look awesome. Your little Excel spreadsheet looks incredible. So when rates start to tick up, that's very bad. And then Tina, so there is no alternative, with yields, bond yields at 4%, it kind of doesn't make sense to invest in stocks, right? Stocks are down major this year, so people are more likely to go into bonds. The regime is shifting. Why take on extra risk if you don't need to do it? I doubt it will become a big thing to invest only in bonds, but there are continuous shifts in how asset management works now, which hopefully asset managers are paying attention to. And I wrote all about the dollar last week and I made a video about it, so go check that out. But it continues to dance on the graves of literally everybody. Japan intervened to support the yen last week, which has weakened substantially over the past year as the Bank of Japan and the Federal Reserve diverge in monetary policy. The dollar will continue on its mad gains path too. People want dollars right now. That hurts a lot of people, especially countries that have dollar dominated debt and countries that import energy. And how will the Federal Reserve think about dollar strength in context of our globalized economy? Who knows? There's like 30 central bankers speaking this week, so I'm sure we'll find out more. But I made a TikTok about everything going on in the UK. I'm going to include that here and how monetary policy and fiscal policy connect is extremely important. The United Kingdom kind of had an economic crisis today. Larry Summers. UK is behaving a bit like an emerging market turning itself into a submerging market. He's criticizing supply-side economics, so cutting taxes, saying that that's not the solution here. The market agreed with him as the pound fell and get yields soared. Most of the worries are around this new economic plan. Yesterday, the Bank of England raised rates by 50 basis points in order to battle inflation. Today, the UK government basically counteracted that with their new economic plan, which involves cutting taxes as well as spending a lot of money, which is inherently inflationary. So people were like, goodbye, and the market sold off. But across the board, the markets have been selling off because of the worry of how central banks are responding to inflation. Oil weakened today too, a sign of economic weakness, but the dollar is strong. The dollar is a wrecking ball impacting the UK and everyone else. Markets are nervous. Today shows how worrisome inflation is, not only the impact that inflation has, but also how central banks are responding to it as well as governments. But debt is being inflated away. Trade-offs an energy update. So when everything gets hammered right, you start to walk back on previous commitments. Jamie Dimon hosted like a rose session in front of Congress stating that crypto was a Ponzi. And I would also say that if I had my own JPM coin, no. And that ESG was also a Ponzi. He said he can't have green energy policy without green energy investment, which is true. This week, quote, the European Commission has eased its cold sanctions on Russia. When there's risk of people dying, you have to do what you have to do, but you also don't need to shut down a nuclear reactor, Belgium, in the middle of an energy crisis. For the first time, maybe wait. There's so much grandstanding around wanting to make the world better. But in order for the world to even be good, we have to phase out of the bad properly, right? You can't just switch it all off and expect things to change overnight. You have to go to the gym for months in order to see progress. You have to eat the right foods in, for months in order to lose weight. You have to write for years in order to make sense sometimes. Everything requires iteration. This is final thoughts. <laughs> so I really like this. Uh, forgot this quote. I forgot who said that when Western people become wealthier, they buy more loneliness. Nomadism seems like the epitome of this. Single people forego all connections, networks, relationships, the solo backpack through Asia, making themselves miserable to please their IG audience. I've been thinking a lot about American individualism recently and how prevalent it is in literally everything that we do. The way that we are encouraged to take care of ourselves is by being alone, which is quite absurd if you think about it. I'm an introvert and I know many of you are as well. I need to be alone sometimes, but also I really need to be around people sometimes too. There's healing power in being around a community. We're communal creatures. 
structures in our core, in our little monkey brains. And that's my issue with economics is that people are treated as commodities, which they sort of are as economic entities. It's an unfortunate truth, but there's something blatantly unhuman about it. The way that we communicate things is so frustrating. I think Jerome Powell does an excellent job. I am a Fed simp after all, but I also think that putting these things in more human-centric terms is important. One of the Fed's main tools is communication, whether that be their press conferences or Nick's column in the Wall Street Journal. They should make it as clear as possible for everybody, not just market participants. Don't talk about the neutral rate. Nobody knows what that really is. Just talk about the real impact this is going to have on people. And of course, when you say things like Fed communication should be more accessible, people are like, well, 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 aren't you a little delicate baby flower? Go cry in the corner. And that brings me to a Tennessee Williams quote that I liked. All cruel people describe themselves as peregrines of frankness. They shout, we don't love you anymore as they run into the sea. What else are you supposed to do on this earth but catch whatever comes to you with all your fingers until all your fingers are broken? The paragons of frankness are shouting again. This time, life is an unanswered question, and now we shout back, but let's still believe in the dignity and the importance of the question. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for spending time with me. I will be doing more YouTube videos, more daily updates because that was requested essentially, um, so I'll be trying that out. Please subscribe, share with a friend. It really, really helps. I appreciate you all being here. If you have questions, comments below, let me know, and then I'll include that Google form in the description box as well. If you can fill that out, that really, really helps. Yeah, I'll talk to you all soon, and I hope that you're doing okay, and goodbye.